Good morning, good morning, good morning.
Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning to you out there or afternoon or evening, wherever you are. Good morning to all you people in the house. Thank you for being here. I, I cannot tell you how much it means. It, uh, you might not get it, but um, by being here, you, you add to the spirit of this place and what happens during this time. And uh, for anybody watching out there, I encourage you, you know, if you're staying home because you're just lazy, Stop it. You need to be here next Sunday. If you have legitimate concerns, or I fully respect that, if you're just lazy and you've come to appreciate, you know, PJs at church, wear your PJs. Come next week in your PJs. I can't swear nobody will say anything about it to you or behind your back, but just come be here. So that's that. Um, I'm really excited to share this with you this morning because uh, I think there's some good stuff here because it, uh, it's from the Lord. So, you know, he has a pretty good track record. Uh, picking up where we left off last week, Mark chapter 8, if you have a Bible or a device or a phone or maybe you've just memorized all of the Bible, which is really cool. Um, starting in 8 uh, verse 27. And uh, we're going to go through a big chunk here, but I'm just going to take it little pieces at a time. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? And I want to stop right there because... It's important, I think, that we understand, and I myself, I did not understand till just this week, uh, and this is one of the great parts about when we, when we do an expon, uh, exponential, expository series, is that it really, in, in preparing for it personally, uh, it really causes me to, to take a deeper look than maybe what I'm used to, or I think I already know the story, or I've read it a hundred times, but it causes me to go a little deeper and maybe see things I hadn't seen before, and in this moment, in the, what we're about to have is, is, Paul's, is uh, Peter's confession, and this is the major inflection point in the Gospels. This is, you know, people like to, like to use it, oh, this is life-changing, or this is game-changing, and it bothers me because however big you think 
your thing is, it literally does not change my life. Don't come to me and tell me something is life-changing if my life is actually the same after I've heard it, because it's not life-changing. Um, you know, if the game is not fundamentally different after your revelation, it's not game-changing. This is game-changing moment. This is the moment when the entire story of Jesus flips. Because this is the moment, we have gone through eight chapters of the book of Mark. This is the moment Jesus has spent that entire time working towards. This one pivotal moment. You see, in the last eight chapters, we've seen Jesus. Jesus has done, he's done a couple of, you know, feedings of multiple thousands. He's calmed storms. He's healed. He's raised people from the dead. He's done all this amazing stuff. And we tend to view these things as, you know, this is, this is Jesus displaying who he is to the world. Because we have the Bible. And we all, anybody who comes to the story can see Jesus displaying who he is. The people in this moment did not have this information. The people, the people of, of Palestine, the people of Judea, they didn't have this information. They didn't have a 24-7 news cycle. So they might have heard stories about Jesus. They might have heard a rumor here or there. or ah, You know, there was this guy. I mean, it literally tells you something that he asked, who do people think I am? And the first thing they say is, well, some people think you might be John the Baptist. We, from our perspective, go back and go, that's dumb. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. This is literally not a Clark Kent and Superman never been in the same room thing. We have seen them in the same room. But this was a popularly held belief that Jesus might be John the Baptist brought back to life. Uh, as a matter of fact, Herod, who, who, you know, John the Baptist, you know, He's the one that did it. He literally, when he started hearing about Jesus, he thought Jesus might be John the Baptist. Because Jesus was not on his radar before this. No 24-7 news cycle. So there's lots of people who maybe hadn't heard of Jesus, and then all of a sudden they hear John the Baptist is dead, and all of a sudden they hear there's this guy out here doing these amazing, you know, prophet-like godly things, and they go, John the Baptist is back. But it's not John the Baptist. And so a lot of people are going, well, some people think he's Elijah. Because the Old Testament tells us, you know, there will come a time when Elijah will come back. Elijah will return because, you know, Elijah never actually died, which kudos to him because that's really cool. Um, you know, he just sort of went down to the river and, uh, you know, maybe it's just me. Whenever I hear the, the Elijah story and I think about the Elijah story, I think about Darby O'Gill and the little people. I literally want to think there's this, you know, phantasmic carriage with horses that comes along and just picks them up and takes them away with King Brian, the king of the leprechauns. But yeah, that's just me. But they know John, uh, the Elijah is supposed to return and, and sort of set the stage for the, the, the coming of the Christ. But Jesus tells us that John already kind of filled that role. 
John was the return of Elijah. John was the one who prepared the way and was a voice crying out in the wilderness. And so a lot of other people are like, well, you know, he's just, he's a prophet. You know, we haven't seen an actual prophet of God in 400 years. And, you know, and he's one of the good prophets. He's like, a, he's like an Elijah prophet who does miracles and stuff, not just tells us how bad we are and how much God hates us. So he's like a cool prophet. And so everything Jesus has done up to this point is not necessarily for any of those people. Now, admittedly, the healings he performed, the people he brought back to life, the individuals he interacted with, it's, it's not like they were tools as part of his story and he was using them to make a point or something. He was literally interacting with people on a personal level and he saw them and he saw their needs and he ministered to the person in front of him. But everything he did and everything he taught up until this point was going into an audience of 12. Because these 12 are the only ones who have been exposed to the entire Jesus story up until this point. These 12 are the only ones who were there in the boat when he calmed the storm. The only ones that were there for each and every miracle he performed. These are the only ones who were there for each and every word God had spo- Jesus had spoken. And so it's for these 12 men, for this moment right here that Jesus has done everything. And he asks them, okay, who do people say I am? And it's like a nice little segue. It's like a nice little lead in. And they're like, well, some people think this, and some people think that, and some people think that. And he's like, cool, 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 cool. Um, you know, gun to your head, you had to give an answer. Who would you say that I am? And I don't know how weird this moment gets. Um, because I see it playing out two ways. Here's what it says. Um, He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now, either what happened was, we know Peter is rash. Peter is impulsive. And so Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter, without even thinking, Peter, the guy that jumps out of the boat, says, you're the Christ. And and the the other 11 are all like looking at him. And they're looking at Jesus. And they're looking at Peter, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're waiting. They're waiting to see what the answer is. Because if Jesus goes, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, then they can go, yeah, Peter, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. But if, Peter said, if Jesus says, wow, that's a, that's a really good answer, then they can go, you know what, I was, I was going to say that too, but he, just, he said it first. Or... And again, we've got to remember Mark. This is the, it's the gospel according to Mark, but it is essentially Peter's gospel. It is essentially Mark has recorded what Peter told him about these events. And, and so what might have happened is Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter kind of looks around, and he, he looks at all the other guys, and they all, they sort of give him the nod. And they're like, yeah, man, go ahead, say it, go ahead, say it. And it's we, we 
think that you are the Christ. The Christ. And Jesus is like, that's a really good answer. And, and, and other, other, other uh, revelations of this story tell us that, that Jesus says, um, essentially, you know what, Peter, that's a really good answer. That is an answer given by God. That is a piece of information from God, not from what you've heard from other people. And the faith you display in believing this is the faith upon which my entire church will be built. And that right there is the, is, is the revealing bit in this story is, you are the 12 who when I am gone, you are going to take my story with you. You are going to spread the story of the gospel. You are going to found my church on the basis of this kind of faith. And so it is for this moment that I have done all that I have done to get to this moment where you, 12, spoiler alert, 11, where you guys get it. And you know, there's this random part of me that goes, what if they didn't get it at this moment? Would Jesus had to spend another three years wandering around the Holy Land, reteaching and reteaching and reteaching and having some summer school and here's some supplemental materials? Because he could not take his mission and his ministry any further until these 12 men got to the point where they said, you are the Christ. And so he gets to this moment. They get it. They understand. They acknowledge and accept him as the Christ, the holy anointed one of God. And then the very next thing Jesus says to them is, that's awesome. Don't tell anybody. Say nothing. Why? 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 Why would he get them to this point? Why would he bring them to the point where they understand the most important thing Jesus has thus far done, and then he says, don't say anything about it? We know Jesus has been cagey. We know Jesus has done stuff. He's done miracles. He's done healings. He's, you know, brought people back from the dead and that sort of thing. And it's always like, don't tell anybody. You know what? It's not my time yet. I'm trying to, trying to keep things on the down low. I'm trying to stay under the radar. I'm not yet ready for the confrontation with the religious leaders that this is going to bring on. So let's just, you know, let's keep it under your hat. That's not what this is. He tells them, it's awesome that you acknowledge and you realize and you accept and you faithfully believe that I am the Christ. Now, don't tell anybody because you completely misunderstand everything. What you think you know is completely wrong. Because the very next thing it tells us, on the other page, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him, and he began to teach them. You see, they had come to the point where they accepted and realized and acknowledged him as the Christ, the holy anointed one of God, but they were still trapped by the world's understanding of what that meant. You see, at this point in the story, 
to everyone except Jesus. The Christ means the holy anointed leader who is going to come to the people of Israel and he's going to bring them together and he's going to unite them. He's going to unite them politically. He's going to unite them militarily. He's going to unite them spiritually. He's going to be a combination of king and high priest. He is going to bring back the the devotion to the holiness of God. He's going to bring back a union as the people of Israel, God's chosen people, who will then rise up and they will drive out their oppressors, the Romans, and they will return to the glory days of David. Because that's what the Christ means. And when these 12 men look at Jesus and go, you are the Christ, that's what they're thinking. And Jesus is like, well, Christ, yes. Your definition, no. And so, so now that we've hit this critical point, Jesus can go, okay, I've got you where we need to be. Now we can move on to the next stage of this mission where I, I rewrite your thinking on what it means to be the Christ and what it is I'm really here to do. See, this is the reason all of Israel, most of Israel, did not accept him as the Christ. Because the Jews had a very definite idea in their minds about what the Christ would be, and Jesus checked none of those boxes. Prophet, maybe. Elijah, eh. John the Baptist, Superman, Clark Kent. Messiah, Christ, no. And so Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting the go-go's just screaming at me out of here. Um, and it's kind of cool, but it's probably not prudent to the moment. Um, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. You're the Christ. You're going to ride into Jerusalem. You're going to unite the people. We're going to rise up with swords and plowshares and whatever plowshare is and daggers. And we're going to be a mighty army under God. And we're going to drive out the Romans. And it's going to be sweet. Or, um, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Yeah. And the, the priests and the scribes and the elders are all going to hate me a lot. Uh, and they're going to be really upset with me, and they're going to be really ticked off, and we are not going to mesh at all, and they're just going to say, you know what, let's kill him. And then I die. But I come back. This is not the Messiah they were waiting for. And so Jesus drops this on them, and they're just like, uh, you know, Jesus, this is literally a life-changing piece of information. They're just dumbfounded. And, and they, can't, they can't get it. Now, admittedly, four chapters ago, at the end of chapter four, you've got the guys going, who is this guy? What is he? So, you know, four chapters later, however much time that took, they get to the point where he is the Christ. 
let's be, you know, charitable and accept it's going to take them a minute to wrap their heads around this. But this is not that minute. So Jesus is like, yeah, so it's cool. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and uh, all the guys in charge are going to hate me, and they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise again. And he spoke it plainly. He didn't, he didn't hint around at it. He didn't parable them on this one. He just flat out straight, we're going, they kill me, I come back. Boom, boom, boom. And these guys already know about the resurrection at the end when God raises up all the saints, and he's like, no, 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 no. I mean, like, you know, I die, and then one, two, three, or I die half a day, and then one day, and then half a day, and that's like three days. I die, and I come back like that, like a long weekend. It's going to be sweet. And he said this plainly. And Peter, because who else is going to be but Peter? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter took Jesus aside and began, Peter rebuked Jesus. It literally is as dumb as it sounds. But Peter thought he was doing the right thing. Peter always thought he was doing the right thing. Admittedly, we get the impression there was a lot of times Peter didn't think things through a lot. I mean, I'm personally one of the guys that go, you know what, I am not getting where Jesus is going with this, and he seems like way off on this, but it's Jesus, bro, and I am not saying anything. And Peter's like, I'll say it. I don't even care. I'll go tell him. Yeah. You go do that. Good luck. Tell me how it goes when you get back. So Peter takes Jesus aside, and he's like, okay, Jesus. Um, and, and again, I see this one going one of two ways, and he's like, okay, you know, look, uh, maybe you forgot. You, we were all, you know, we weren't little together, but we were all little, and we all had some, you know, basic sort of rabbi teaching at the synagogue and stuff, and, and, and maybe you forgot. Maybe you just don't remember. But, but the, the Christ is going to come, and he's going he's gonna to like King David all over the place and high priest and like a giant King David high priest Twinkie. And he's just going to set everything straight. And it's going to be like the glory days all over again. Or Peter took Jesus aside and he's like, um, boss, um, look, you know, this, this thing you're doing, it's... Uh, Honestly, it's not good for morale. Uh, the guys are not digging this because, you know, kind of, I mean, I don't know what we did sign up for, but this story you're kind of painting here is we're not digging. It's not cool because, you know, if you go to Jerusalem and they kill you, then, ah, uh, you know, so maybe let's, let's pull back on that a little bit. The, the doom and gloom. Maybe let's not. Either way, Peter thinks he's setting Jesus straight. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he turned around and he looked at all of them. And he understands you all have this wrong. And you all have this idea that that somehow what I'm telling you is wrong. Somehow you all have this idea that somehow... Things can be different from what I'm telling you. 
And so he turned, and then he does his own rebuking. And turning and he's seeing his disciples, he looks then at Peter, and he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus just called his, like, number one guy, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. And here's what I think is happening. Now, I saw some commentary notes where, you know, somebody's suggesting that Anytime you dismiss or diminish the work of God or try to rewrite it or reinterpret it as something other than what God is doing, that is inherently of the devil, therefore satanic. Cool, 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 cool. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think Jesus is looking at Peter and he is literally seeing Satan speaking to him through Peter. Because Peter is telling him everything he truly, deep down in his heart, wants to hear. We know, based on the temptation Jesus experienced in the desert, that Satan's thing was all about, dude, you can totally have the power. You have the power to have the power at no cost whatsoever. You don't have to starve yourself. You don't have to be discomforted. You don't have to be damaged. You don't have to be harmed. You can have it all at no cost. And we know at the end, at the very last minute, Jesus will be on his knees, weeping blood, going, Dear God in heaven, let there be some other way to accomplish this where I don't have to go and submit myself to these men and the beating that's going to come and the scourging that's going to come and this horrible, mutilated death on the cross. Dear God, if there's any possible human way to avoid that, if there's any possible godly way to avoid that, please let it be. And so right in the middle of those two bookends, you have Peter going, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You can come and you can accomplish all that you want to accomplish. And you can be this godly deliverer of God's people without the suffering. And from Peter's own lips, Jesus is hearing the most tempting words he's ever heard. And I think that's why he says... Get thee behind me, Satan. Because it's not just your point of view that is outside of God's kingdom. It is what you are saying is a lie from my adversary. And I will not be distracted, and I will not be tempted, and I will not let you speak words of doubt and fear into me at this moment. So get behind me, Satan. Hit the road, Jack. Good. All right. There we are. And he will then go on and spend. And again, you know, because our stories, our story of the life of Jesus is broken down into chapters. We don't really get, you know, a scope of how much time we're looking at here. But in very short order, we will find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, which means 
I can only assume then that by this time, by the time he comes to the end, he has established in these men the real understanding of what the Christ is and what the Christ is going to do and what that means. But I want to back up here because the most important thing in these verses, not just for these men, not just for the biblical story, the most important thing here, maybe the most important thing in the Gospels, is spoken by Jesus, and he speaks to Peter, and he speaks to John, and he speaks to James, and he speaks to me, and he speaks to you. Who do you say I am? If you are here this morning, if you are watching at any point in time, Jesus asks of you, who do you say Jesus is? And let me tell you, folks, right now, this morning, all over our country, all across our world, there are churches filled with people who have the 100% wrong answer to that question. I dare say some of us this morning have the 100% wrong answer to that question. You see, for a lot of us, we serve and worship and claim a Jesus who likes everything we like and hates everything and everyone we hate. That is not this Jesus. For a lot of us, we claim the name of a Jesus who 100% agrees with every opinion we have on politics and religion and social issues and everything else in the world, excluding, thank God, that the game later today will not have the Dallas Cowboys, because we can all agree on that. We 100% believe... Jesus is in full agreement with every opinion we have. That is not this Jesus. If you serve a Jesus who does not call you to regular times in the word and in prayer, who does not call you to fellowship and discipleship and worship, who does not call you to service and to sacrifice, your Jesus is not this Jesus. And if your Jesus is not this Jesus, your Jesus cannot do the things this Jesus can do. And if your Jesus is not this Jesus, there is no hope in this life or the next in your Jesus. That is why Jesus asks you today, tomorrow, the next day, and each and every day, and each and every moment, up until the end of your life, who do you say Jesus is? And if your Jesus 
is anybody else than the Jesus revealed to us in Scripture, you are just as wrong as Peter in this moment. And you are in your thoughts and words and actions rebuking Jesus and saying, I can live my life and receive the blessings of Jesus Christ and God Almighty by telling you who you are going to be. And if you hear these words this morning and there is a little part of you that agrees with that, you are in trouble. You are lost. You are hopeless. And the only hope for you is to make your way to this Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to do one more song and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word. Jesus Christ, who came as a man, who, who taught us so much about your kingdom. Your son Jesus, who sacrificed for us that we might find our way into personal relationship with you and a personal saving grace that puts aside all worldly concerns, all temporary issues, and allows us to focus on preparation for an eternity with our Holy Father, His blessed Son, the Holy Spirit, and all of God's children down throughout the ages. I pray this morning, Father, that you would look deep into the heart and soul and spirit of each and every one of us. And if, Father, there is anything in us that worships a Jesus who is not your Jesus, I pray you would make that clear to us. And, Father, help us to confess and repent. We don't want a Jesus we understand with the wisdom of man. We don't want the Jesus that doesn't call us to commitment. We don't want the Jesus that doesn't call us to transformation. We want the Son who will sit at your right hand throughout eternity, who gave everything for us, and we pray that you would help us to be the people who give everything in return. It is in this Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen.
Yeah. <laughs>